Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, I want to tell you, I am so excited and so blessed. Something wonderful is happening. A lot of you have asked, when will you be back on TV? And I've wondered the same thing. Well, it's happening. It's this Thursday night premiering on A&E, Grace versus Abrams, my sparring buddy, Dan Abrams and I take on the biggest cases and investigations that our country has ever seen. Thursday night, March 29, 11 p.m. Please join us. Again, I am so blessed, and you've been with me for all these years. Please join me on A&E, March 29, 11 p.m. Thanks, friend. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. Happy birthday, dear Bluefish. Happy birthday to you. Blow out your candle. Good job, bud. You're five years old. Tomorrow. That was Lucas's fifth birthday party as people joined in to say happy birthday baby lucas 
today missing lucas and the desperate search for a five-year-old boy who disappears while stepmom was napping i'm nancy grace this is crime stories thank you for being with us a desperate search launched for a five-year-old tot boy missing from his own home we want answers with me kim martin leading the effort to find lucas with missing pieces network karen smith renowned forensic expert joining us out of the florida jurisdiction ashley wilcott juvenile judge and founder of childcrimewatch.com dr chloe carmichael new york psychologist and founder of goalattainment.com and chuck roberts crime stories investigative reporter straight out to kim martin i want to start at day one hour one kim uh, between you and chuck i hope to cobble together a clear picture of what has happened with lucas you start kim what's your understanding with the moment that lucas disappears um the moment he disappeared is actually up for debate quite honestly um the, his stepmother emily stated that she took a nap at three o'clock when she woke up she contacted the police um, at 614. Hold on. Chuck Roberts wants in. Chuck, news reports have been um, conflicting, as Kim Martin has pointed out. What's your understanding of the facts, Chuck Roberts, as to when he disappeared, where he disappeared, how, who, what, where, why, when? Give me the nuts and bolts. Well, it's important to remember the family had just moved in there 10 days earlier. It was a rental house in a different part of town. So Lucas, a five-year-old, wasn't familiar with anything around there. But the mother obviously went to sleep for the exact period of time. It's Did you say mother or stepmother? The stepmother. Sorry, okay. Emily Blass, a 26-year-old woman. Uh, and um, she took a nap. And when she got up, she later, much later, told police that Lucas was missing. Uh, but she waited a time before she called police. The, uh, her, the boy's shoes were still there. His coat was still there. But it's important to remember it was 64 degrees and sunny. It was unusually warm that day and for the next two or three days. So here's a little boy. You know, his, his dad is off in New Mexico working. It's an unfamiliar neighborhood. It's unusually warm outside and sunny. Uh, his mom is sleeping in a bedroom. Uh, and, you know, he may have gone outside at that point of his, of his own accord. That's one theory. But in any case, she calls police and reports him missing somewhere in the six o'clock hour that evening i'm trying to take it all in you hear the happy birthday song being sung to lucas hernandez and then out of nowhere seemingly he just disappears the five-year-old tot goes missing wichita kansas police say that she the stepmom had last seen the boy around 3 p.m in his bedroom before she took a shower and lay down for a quick nap a major search launched for Lucas, described by school teachers as, quote, a very sweet boy. Tell me about the search, Kim Martin, from Missing Pieces Network. What was done to try to find Lucas at the outset? The police were there, Wichita police. Uh, at one point, they brought SWAT teams in. You know, everybody was canvassing the neighborhood. And pretty early on, they had stated that they did not believe that it was an abduction, that there was no sign that anyone came into the house and removed Lucas. You know, I hear that. 
I hear that, uh, Kim, and um, I'm trying to figure out where they're getting that from. Chuck, were there any forced entries, any door jimmied, any windows, anything like that at all, Chuck Roberts? No, there wasn't. And um, uh, there were, they canvassed, obviously, the neighborhood, and no strangers had been seen about. Uh, so uh, there's hmm. nothing like that that hmm. they can follow up on. Well, as we know, uh, that's very powerful proof. But on the other hand, you have cases like uh, Elizabeth Smart and so many others where the unthinkable does occur. A stranger comes in your home and takes your baby. Listen right now to Kansas Police Officer Charlie Davidson announcing Lucas has vanished. It is with a heavy heart I'm here with you today. Still missing is five-year-old Lucas Fernandez. Lucas was last seen wearing black sweats, white socks, and a gray shirt with a bear on it. Our thoughts and prayers remain with Lucas and Lucas's family as we are diligently investigating the situation. On Friday, February 17th at approximately 6.15, officers were dispatched to a lost juvenile call at a residence in the 600 block of South Edgemore. When they arrived, they made contact with a 26-year-old female who is the stepmother of Lucas. She reported to officers that she last saw Lucas in his bedroom at approximately 3 p.m. prior to her showering and falling asleep. Officers and canine units have diligently checked the home and the neighborhood with no luck of locating Lucas at this time. Currently, Wichita Police Department detectives continue to speak with family and follow up with any leads regarding this unfortunate situation. Additionally, the Federal Bureau of Investigation has sent in resources as well as their Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team, their CARD team, known as the CARD team, to assist us with this investigation. Also, the Emer Emergency Operation Command Center has been activated. So we are asking the community with has any information regarding this case to please call TIPS in to 316 383-4661, and there will be individuals at our employment, or excuse me, Emergency Operation Command Center to answer those tips. Photographs of Lucas are posted on the WPD Facebook and Twitter pages. I know many of the community have shown willingness to come and take part in a search party, and we do appreciate the willingness of the citizens to come and help us in this investigation. However, at this point, we're asking citizens to share the information on their social media pages and call the tip line with any information. We do currently have investigators and officers that are con continuing to search the area for Lucas. Joining in right now, renowned forensics expert Karen Smith out of the Florida jurisdiction who has studied the case very carefully. Karen, at that juncture... What should police be doing? The first thing I would do is try to find out who else had a visual on the boy at what time. Absolutely. You want to look at uh, Emily Glass's associates. Who was she hanging out with? Who does she know? You're going to look at cell phone records to find out who she was calling beforehand. And going back to that, uh, you know, not forced entry, forced entry question, uh, the rear door was apparently open. So police would definitely need to do some DNA swabs and fingerprints on that door to rule in and rule out people who have used it. That's just simple forensic tools, and that could uh, establish leads 
or it could establish that there was nobody else that came through that door. Um, and, you know, as police said, they don't believe that Lucas just walked out of the house. There was also no Amber Alert. Um, that means that they did not believe there was an abduction. So that's also a large clue. You know, I'm thinking about what they could do. First of all, if he, Lucas, the five-year-old boy, Ashley Wolcott, juvenile judge uh, with me, founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com, Ashley, if he had been in his bedroom, I would assume that they would dust for prints on the door that was left ajar, the back door, the all over his bedroom, his bed, uh, the bathroom door where he may have been, all around the yard, uh, whatever objects were still out in the yard, whether it was a ball or anything that would suggest he had walked outside. I would also look, Ashley, if anyone else in the neighborhood had surveillance video on their front door that could have seen a car or a boy or a man go by. I mean, in so many cases, we have surveillance video from neighbors that can show a car. And when zoomed in, you can even get a car tag number around the time the child goes missing. We've got like a three-hour window. Uh, from three to six. What else could they be doing, Ashley? Exactly that, collecting all of the forensic evidence. They can look for footprints outside of the doors. They can look to see are there any marks on windows or doors where they've apparently been jimmied. And let me suggest this. For the police to say, we do not believe this child's been abducted, I would count my money on the fact that there's evidence that it was not an abduction. So I suspect they've already taken all those forensic steps and have eliminated abduction as a possible um, what happened to this child in this case. And the other thing I would say, Nancy, is, you know, remember, investigators, as you well know, they can't give us all the information that they have because it's an ongoing investigation. So there's more than the public knows um, about what they found. Wow. For those of you just joining us, we're talking about a five-year-old boy, Lucas Hernandez. Lucas goes missing out of his own home in the Wichita, Kansas area, not sight nor sound hide nor hair has been seen of the boy since do we know chuck roberts if there have been any sightings of him no and obviously they've scoured uh, all the parks and all the places uh, public places around uh, and there's been an appeal for uh, uh, landowners in the area to walk their property and make sure that there's no sign of anybody uh, so it's been a very very comprehensive search uh, with volunteer and uh, official teams doing it. Uh, EquiSearch has been involved off and on uh, for the last two or three weeks, but uh, really nothing has turned up that, uh, that, that produces any hope that uh, he'll be found alive. What do we know about the stepmother and the father? You know, it, it gets more and more difficult. Dr. Chloe Carmichael with me, uh, renowned New York psychologist, founder of GoalAttainment.com. Dr. Chloe, the more that families um, are patched together, you know, God bless them. I had a patched together family myself through my grandmother. Um, the harder it is to ascertain the facts because you've got the mother. Where is she? You've got the father. Where is he? You got the stepmother. You got the boyfriend. You got the half siblings, the teen brother, the this, the that, the one in college, the one from the first marriage. I mean, it gets. I'm happy 
everybody's blending so beautifully but as far as a crime analyst goes you got a lot of avenues to chase down trying to find this boy and frankly that's what i'm worried about who could have taken him why was it the bio mom was it an angry aunt was it this was it that the movers they just moved 10 days before did a mover see him and want to molest him i don't know so help me figure out Where's the mother? Where's the father? What do I know about this stepmother? Dr. Chloe, help me out. And isn't it true, Dr. Chloe, that moving is one of the top five most stressful things that happens in a life? I mean, I move so many times I can't even count them. Maybe that's why I'm jacked up all the time. But it's very stressful. And they had just moved. They probably still had boxes full of stuff sitting around, Chloe. Yes, Nancy, you're absolutely right. Of course, uh, moving is one of the top five stressors in life. And it, it poses an emotional stress because we're, you know, uprooting ourselves. And then it also poses a cognitive stress because there's so many balls in the air and so many things that we're trying to coordinate and keep track of. And, of course, in those situations, you know, it, it's it's more easy, unfortunately, for um, for things like this possibly to happen if it were, you know, truly uh, just that the parents were absent-minded here. On the other hand, as you were saying, Nancy, that with blended families, issues of um, anger, alliances, and possessiveness between the family members as they negotiate and struggle to understand where the loyalty lies, sometimes that can kick up some extremely volatile emotions. So, and as well, moving itself, you know, you're going through all the old photos and the memories and things like that. In many ways, it can set off a, quite a psychological storm. A psychological storm that's just ringing through my head. Ashley, um, I don't want to sound callous, okay? My family's blended, okay? But it's just very hard on detectives and crime analysts to chase down everybody connected to a missing child when it gets it gets so complicated. Then you find out there's an ex-girlfriend, the ex-wife. Where is she? What, are, are there kids in college, siblings? Is there a crazy aunt? Is there a child molester uncle? I mean, it just, it goes on and on and on. And people sit back and throw stones at the cops. I mean, they're trying, Ashley. Back me up on this. Absolutely. And let me tell you, as a judge, here's what I see. Investigations leading to actual charges and trials may take a very long time for that very reason, because the law enforcement has to pay attention to every tiny detail. They have to follow every lead because you never know when one of the little details is going to be the one that breaks the case. And Nancy, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, the case, I think you mentioned it on your show with the glass eyeball and the way to identify a victim was because of that. Right, Julie Love. You never know what lead or what little tiny piece of evidence is going to tie it all together well, so they can actually Ash, determine who committed the crime. Let me tell you something about that. It was even more attenuated. We're talking about a case I mentioned, I think, yesterday. That happened in Atlanta when I was still prosecuting felonies in inner city Atlanta during that 10 year span. And um, a gorgeous young kindergarten teacher, I think she taught like dance and movement or something like that in kindergarten, Julie Love. That was actually her name, Julie Love. 
and she had been out jogging and a car was following her. So she did what I've done many times. You pretend you're going up a driveway to your house, which is, of course, not your house. Well, somehow this gang in the car figured out, hey, that's not her house. I don't know how they knew it. And they waited. They hid and they waited until she came back down the driveway and started jogging again, then abducted her. They beat her mercilessly, assaulted her horribly, and then murdered her. All that was left of her body near a dumpster was a glass eyeball. I think ultimately they found some bones that had been scattered by animals. But catch this, Ashley. At the outset, I went to the elected DA, who's like a grandfather, and said, you know, you've got to go after the boyfriend. And I'm like, no. And I had never seen him. I mean, it could just defy common sense. He said, it's just not enough. He wouldn't even explain it to me, okay? So I was way down low on the totem pole, barking at his heels about an arrest. So he didn't, and I always perplexed me why he didn't go after the boyfriend well he was right because about i guess it was a year two years later a woman calls and said she had been beaten up and she was afraid for her life from her boyfriend and p.s a couple of years ago he murdered that kindergarten teacher that's how the case broke. So they they speak to this beating victim, as I recall it. I hope I have the facts correct. They speak to her, and she starts talking, and they piece it together who this person, this alleged victim was. That's all they had to go on. They go to the area where she said the body was disposed, and sure enough, they find the glass eyeball. That I, That's how I recall it worked. Now, now That's been a long time ago, and that's how I recall the facts. But that's how attenuated it is sometimes when a case is solved. And then the whole thing, of course, cracked wide open, and the district attorney was right, and I was wrong. So you're right. You never know when you're chasing down all these alleys and you come up with nothing where to turn next. So to you, Kim Martin, Missing Pieces Network, You've been on the case from the get-go. Right. Where is the mom? Are we sure the dad was in the bio mom? Are we sure the dad's in Mexico, New Mexico at the time? And what do we know about the stepmom? That's a loaded question, Kim. <laughs> um, Lucas's father left for work in New Mexico on the 9th. He scheduled, he works 20 days on and 10 days off. A lot of early reports said that he was working in Texas, which he did last year, but he had recently switched as a what? to working in New Mexico. He works in, on an oil rig. He does something with an oil rig. Oh, yes. I recall that now. You're right. And that's true. My my uh, One of my best girlfriends, um, who happens to be a defense lawyer, family, a lot of them are on the oil rigs, and you know they're gone for long periods of time. Yeah, okay, so that explains, that satisfies my question about the father. Because yes, they're telling me he's out of town, but I naturally want to know, oh really? Where? How long? Why? Can you verify it? Okay, so that's verified. Now, tell me about the bio mom and the stepmom. What do we know? Um, The biological mother was The last time she was actually in Kansas was January 1st. She lived in Oklahoma, 
and I've been in touch with her as well. Um, you know, she's devastated. Um, she is in Wichita now and has been since five o'clock the next day after he went missing. Kim, let me stop you right there. You poor thing. Yeah, I asked you a question and just jump right in. But what you're saying, when I have to go out of town, Kim, I'm miserable. I act, I'm away from the twins. I actually, believe it or not, can't eat. I am miserable. I'm worried. Uh, it's always for work. I'm trying to focus on work and nothing else, but I'm worried. I'm worried sick about them. And maybe it's my line of business, but I mean, I actually physically cannot eat. And I can, oh, dear Lord in heaven, it's just making me feel ill. I just had to go to New York this past week to work on my uh, new A&E show. I'm so blessed to have with Dan Abrams. And um, I thought I was going to get snowed in. And I was at the airport sitting on the floor just praying, please let me get back to the twins. And I cannot imagine getting a phone call that one of the twins are missing. And I'm in another state sitting on the floor at an airport. I mean, I just, it's it's upsetting to even imagine that scenario. You've answered my question, Kim, about the mom being in another state. How is she? Oh, dear Lord in heaven, Kim, how is the mom doing? She's not doing well, I'll be honest. Um, as you can imagine, exactly like you said, Nancy, in a case like this where there's so many players, blame is being thrown, rumors are being thrown, and you know, the backlash that has come to her, you know, everyone is suspecting someone. So it, it's been, it's been really bad, tough on the family. They've had to step back from the searching because people are harassing them, threatening them, you know, and at this point, I'm just trying to mediate, you know, let's find Lucas, then we can blame wait, whoever. Wait, 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 what do you mean people are harassing them and threatening them? Oh, yeah. Well, why? Everyone thinks that such and so did it for this reason or this reason. It becomes so ridiculous. Everyone's off topic. The topic is finding Lucas. I don't care who did it, blaming who did what, when that comes afterwards. Right now, there's a little boy out there, quite honestly, on the side of a road somewhere. Ooh, just thinking about what that mom went through. So I, I've cleared... I, I, I really do hate to say it like this, Ashley Wilcott, but I'll just put it out there. You've cleared the top two suspects, the mom and the dad, because when a kid, a child goes missing, you look immediately at the nuclear family. Then you look at aunts, uncles, grandparents who had a bone to pick with the way the child was raised or this or that. Then you look at the neighbors in the neighborhood. But let's let me think about the neighbors in the neighborhood for a moment. Karen Smith, you're the forensic expert. The first, another first things. There's so many first things to do is to look up all the child sex, the sex predators in the neighborhood. They don't even have to be child sex predators, just sex predators. And how do you go about doing that, Karen Smith? How do you find out if there's a sex predator in your zip code? Well, police are going to have lists of who lives where. They're going to have to have uh, check-in points. Some of them are still going to be on probation and parole. They're going to have to check in with all of those people as well and do knock and talks. As simple as knock and talks. 
where were you? What were you doing? Give me your timeline. We, you know, if, if we may have to get a warrant for your cell phone. All of those questions are going to have to be asked and answered by every single one of the people. And we're talking about not just the neighborhood. You know, sex predators aren't limited to just blocks. They go where they want to go when they want to go there. So this is going to be, it widens the net so far for police, and it's going to stretch their reserves. It's going to stretch their, you know, they're going to be exhausted, but they have to follow every single lead with these people. Well, you know, with me, of course, in the background, you can't hear him. Alan Duke, Alan, jump in. I mean, you can go to our website, crimeonline.com, and put in how I find my uh, sex predators in my zip code. Uh, I mean, if you go to Google and put find sex predator by zip code, tons of sex offender registries pop up. You've got the U.S. Department of Justice. You've got us, Crime Online, Free Sex Offender Registry, Neighborhood Watch Sex Offender Registry. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Right, Alan? Uh, Yes, and the most official may be the U.S. Department of Justice. They've got the National Sex Offender uh, website that we will link to in the story that goes with this podcast. There is a group called Lucas Warriors, a group of citizens that have heeded the call to search for missing Lucas, and they formed in hopes of finding him. They are doing all they can. The Lucas Warriors, won't you join us in the search for Lucas Hernandez, this five-year-old little boy going missing out of his home? I want to go on to the stepmother. What do we know about her? Is she actually Chuck Roberts? Is she married to the dad? Is she the girlfriend? Does she have children? What do we know about her? She is the living girlfriend. Uh, They've been together for a little bit more than a year. Uh, And she and the bio mother. So I don't know that I would call that a, hold on, I don't know that I would call that a stepmother. No, no. I mean, hold on, let let me ask Ash. Ash Wilcott, juvenile judge, childcrimewatch.com. Ah, you're slung up together. I don't know that I'd call that a stepmother. No. And I you mean, know, that's, it, just a, that's just a smell test right yeah. there, but I would not call a girlfriend a stepmother. Yeah, and it really bothers me. The devil's in the details. And so while I get that maybe some people say, oh, it's a stepmom, that's a significant difference. Is there a commitment there where they've chosen to get married and raise their children together? Or is it a, 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 just a girlfriend? I mean, there is a difference, not only legally, but how you may treat children and how you may interact you know uh to dr chloe carmichael new york psychologist goalattainment.com dr chloe people say is marriage any different than living together or being boyfriend girlfriend i would say no not really for me anyway until children enter the picture and then it's a whole nother ball game game on it's like an endurance test really (laughs) really is i mean in the morning it's like who can feed the guinea pigs who can lay out the clothes who can make this who can do that who can get them in the car blah blah it's just uh it's like nasa precision timing and you know you got to have a partner who's committed i mean sure i can do it on my own i do it on my own all the time but when you're in a, a relationship and you're and you have children that's a whole nother level of commitment and let me tell you something um it takes a very special person to be in a committed relationship when children are involved dr chloe 
It certainly does, Nancy, and it, it takes a very special person to be committed to somebody else's children. Uh, so, of course, in psychology, we have all kinds of books and therapies about the process of being a step-parent. Um, it's, it's not something that should be done easily or lightly by anybody. Um, and absolutely, Nancy, when people live together, it's one thing, um, but when they get married, of course, there's a, a symbolic sense of coming together as one in your flesh and blood, that you're coming together as one. And that already exists, of course, when you have a child that actually is your own flesh and blood. So there's a lot of complicated dynamics there that as a parent, when you have another person in the home who is not actually committed to the future of those children the same way that you are, um, things can get really messy. And so I'm glad you're bringing attention to that, that families and blended families, they have some extra work to do in making sure that those allegiances are clear because kids need that. We are talking right now about the stepmom, as she is called. It sounds more like a living girlfriend to me. Emily Glass, 26 years old. Lucas Hernandez, five years old, goes missing while she is taking a nap. She told cops she took a shower and lay down to take a nap, and when she woke up, no Lucas. No signs of a break-in, nothing stolen from the home, but the back door was open. Now, what do we know about her as an individual? Out to Kim Martin, Missing Pieces Network. What do we know? I know she's very attractive. She's uh, a young lady that had been living with the dad. What else do we know about her background? She has two older children um, that she does not have custody of. Um, she doesn't actually have even joint legal custody, which in Kansas is rather rare from what I understand. Um, and they also, she and um, Jonathan, Lucas's father, also have a one-year-old daughter. Okay, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. She's got two children that are older than Lucas. Yes. How old are they? Do we know? I don't know right off. Where oh they can't they they could be six and you know they could still be ch very young and be older than him he's only five exactly so where are they they live uh, with their father their biological okay. father and they're with the bio dad yes so they're alive they're being taken care of yes then sh there's Lucas the five year old and you're telling me she has a one year old little girl with Lucas's father correct. Where was the one-year-old girl at the time Lucas goes missing? We believe she was napping with Emily. So her biological child is okay. Yeah. Lucas goes missing. Lucas has brown hair and brown eyes. He's only four feet tall. He only weighs 60 pounds. Actually, Nancy, not to... Go ahead. This is interesting, I think, that when the report was made that he was missing, Emily said he was four feet tall and 60 pounds. It's actually closer to 40 pounds, if 40 pounds. He likely weighs 38 to 40 pounds. Please correct me. See, I mean it. That See, that right there, that means something to me. It, it does I'm to not, me well. I'm just a JD. I'm certainly not an MD. But... Ashley Wilcott, I'm trying to remember what Lucy and John David weighed when they were five. If you're four feet tall, you, you should weigh more than 38 pounds. You sure should. Red flag, red flag, red flag. A, she didn't know the weight of her own child. And B, she might have purposely lied because 38 pounds is small.
that's a small child at that height. Something is wrong. Again, I'm just a JD, not an MD, but I can tell you this much. That's not right. Either she didn't know the weight, as Ashley Wilcott is pointing out, or the child was extremely malnourished. Hey, Kim Martin, correct me anytime you want to, because I want the facts <laughs> correctly out there. Okay. So, Lucas, brown hair, brown eyes, and once you see his face, you're going to fall in love with this little boy. And you're going to understand why we want so desperately to find him. Four feet tall, we now weighing probably under 40 pounds, wearing black sweats, white socks, a gray shirt with a bear on it. I'm con I'm confused about something. Um, I'm looking at a photo. Does he actually have a bruise on his face, Chuck Roberts? Yes, and <clears throat> I'm not sure that police have eliminated that as, um, as, a, as a direct connection to his disappearance. But you don't don't forget that uh, family members in New Mexico say that Emily Blatt had thrown water in his face, that Lucas told them that uh, she had kicked him and dragged him across the room and that uh, his stepmom uh, was, quote, mean to me. Uh, so there's there's certainly that aspect. Oh, OK. You're just giving me chills of my arms right now. It's reminding me of all the cases I prosecuted with child victims that could not really articulate what had been done to them and they would say things like they're mean to me i want you to listen to lucas's great aunt sally rasmussen it's not and, and because i was a cps investigator myself you know I, I just feel helpless she was sent photos of lucas last year and saw multiple bruises on his face and neck so she says she called protective services all these stories i've been hearing for months about him possibly being abused she only got more concerned after the father and son came to new mexico for work she says she and another relative saw more signs that the child was hurt and so another report was filed in that state and they investigated and and had a forensic interview and all that kind of stuff and sent them I guess the police didn't think there was enough evidence. Uh, when I first found out he was missing, I um, was suspicious and then uh, worried. The child's great-grandmother says Lucas once told her his stepmom kicked, dragged him across the room, and that she reported her concerns to child protection. I, I, I don't understand. Um, to... Kim Martin, didn't the dad know about this? Yes, there's, there's been some confusion about that. Um, it actually appears probably four or five different people reported suspected abuse um, from the biological, from the maternal mother side of the family and the paternal side of the family. So this is Lucas's father's family reporting the abuse also. Um, I don't want to speak for Jonathan, but he believes and has stated that it's, it's unfounded that Emily did not. Well, why is there a bruise in one of these photos? Nancy, there are 16 photos that I've seen, and some of them, they'll break your heart. You know, all over his body, his arms, his back, his uh, rear end, his legs. You know, I, I, I don't know. It seems to me that some, they were conflicted stories about jurisdictional issues and one department would say, no, you need to contact this department. And, you know, and all I know is that 
Lucas said, Emily hurts me. He did not call her mom, stepmom. He called her Emily. Karen Smith with me, forensics expert. And I want to follow up on what you do to verify if a child has been mistreated, abused, and beaten. But I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I remember one night, Ashley, I came home from HLN. I got home at about a quarter of 10. Lucy, who should have been asleep, was crying that her dad had spanked her. Well, of course, I threw a fit because I don't didn't want them to be spanked unless it was absolutely necessary. He said, Nancy, I've never spanked her in my whole life. I spanked her with two fingers on her arm. Well, of course, Ashley, don't tell the children. But you know I have the whole place tricked out with cameras and alarms and you touch the screen and it goes off, blah, blah. Well, you know, I sat up after I got Lucy calmed down and in bed and asleep. And I sat up and rewound the whole thing. Sure enough, she went over to John David as he's sitting there watching whatever on PBS. Wild Kratz, those brothers that play with animals. She comes up to him with a wooden block and hits him. I mean, rears back and hits him in the head with the block. Okay, <laughs> for no reason. So John David, I'm watching the video. I can't hear it. I can only see it. Falls over like screaming. I'm sure like kicking and writhing. And David goes over. I can see him standing there talking to Lucy. He takes her arm, her right arm. He hits two fingers, the index finger and the forefinger. He spanks her off the wrist with two fingers, and then she starts falling in the floor crying and screaming that this the indignity of the two finger spank on the wrist okay so he was right and lucy was exaggerating can you imagine that and they were about this age they were about five five years old or maybe a little bit younger but you know Ashley, I was up till one o'clock in the morning trying to figure oh, out how to rewind the video camera and, and spy parent, on David because well, if, okay. he, if he had spanked that child the way she said, he would have been out on the sidewalk with a tin cup in his hand begging for 10 cents for a cup of coffee. Good luck, brother. But I don't, I'm under, good. I don't understand why when the child says, she did this to me and he's got bruises. What, what, why was she still allowed in the, I don't understand that, Ashley. And I'm only laughing because I know you're twins. And the funny thing to me is kids will really act out like that when their feelings have gotten hurt. And so she wasn't physically hurt, but it hurt her feelings. Probably she got in trouble with dad. Having said that, there's the difference bruises. So let's talk about, for instance, in the state of Georgia, you can use corporal punishment. So a parent can spank their child. There's no law against it. Here's what I see. Every no, all day. the studies say it gets you nowhere. Right. I don't agree. I got I nowhere even you. using time out. I felt like I was in time out because I had to guard the door for Pete's sake. But exactly. go ahead, Ash. Right. So, but my point in that is that there is a difference when you leave marks or bruises and you cannot do that. That's called child abuse. So for a child child to say she hurts me is one thing. When you've got repeated bruises on a child, that's a completely different story. It takes a great deal of force, an intentional force to cause many types of bruises. And so I will say this, two words for you, system fail. The system 
failed this child for there to be multiple reports, multiple bruises, them arguing about jurisdiction. Who cares? They failed this child. They did. Karen Smith, forensics expert, when a child turns up with bruises and says, Emily is mean to me, how do you verify it? What do you do, Karen? The first thing that you do is police and child protective services are supposed to work in conjunction with one another. You look at the child, you take off their shirt, you know, you, you, you pull down their pants if you have to, and you look at where these bruises are located. Are they old? Are they new? If you have a combination of those, you can bet that that child has been going through abuse for some time. And like you said, this system failed this child. He should have been removed from that household. The other child likely should have been removed from that household until they found out what was going on, who was doing the abuse, how long it had been going on, what they were using, if there were patterns to the bruises, were there hand marks or was it an object that they were using? These are all questions that should have been answered long before Lucas Hernandez disappeared. Take a listen to the latest development. This is Kansas Deputy Police Chief Gavin Sealer. Uh, this case is now considered a criminal investigation. Uh, investigators have arrested a 26-year-old female on two counts of child endangerment. Charges are related to new information gathered during this investigation. Officers and investigators have been working on this case nonstop since 6.15 Saturday evening. We have collected information through countless interviews, follow-ups on leads, and examining evidence. This evidence, or I'm sorry, this incident has touched many in our community. I know that there are many more questions as a result of this. However, this continues to be a criminal investigation, and we cannot go into further details. The search for Lucas Lucas is ongoing, and we are still asking the public for assistance. We continue to provide every resource that we have available to find Lucas. This is our priority. Uh, If you have any information on his whereabouts, please call this tip line. Number is 316-383-4661. Um, as a result of this investigation, too, we would also like to thank other, those other agencies that have been assisting us over the past few days. Those are the FBI, KBI, the District Attorney's Office, and the County Sheriff's Office. That's all I've got at this point. Yes, the 26-year-old, is that the stepmother? That is the stepmother. Emily Glass? Uh, it is 26-year-old female. The, uh, endangering the child, would that be endangering Lucas? That uh, there are two children involved in this. So two separate counts or two separate children? There's two, two separate counts, correct. Would one of them be Lucas? One of those children is Lucas, yes. Do we know where the other child is? Or is do we know if the other it child is involving a one-year-old child? Is that her, her daughter? Uh, I won't go into that. Do you consider at this point that his disappearance is likely going to be a homicide? At this point in time, we hope not. Uh, we hope that we were, are able to find Lucas and that he is alive and well. Where are you guys searching now? Uh, this uh, investigation will continue on as far as specific locations. There's various locations that we're looking at. I won't name any specific locations. Okay. 
situations. Can you elaborate on the nature of endangering the child? Like, was it leaving a child alone or the nature of it? I won't get into the investigation charges. When was she arrested? She was uh, arrested about seven. You want one more question? What information, and I guess when did you guys get that information that turned this into a criminal investigation? This has been a result of, as I mentioned, we started at 6.15 on this um, three days ago, four days ago. And uh, so as a result of all the interviews and throughout the investigation and stuff, and, and talking with people, uh, evidence that was collected and things, that's when we turned it into the investigation as well. Have you guys been able to uh, verify her account of what happened in terms of her being the last person to see him? Again, that's all part of the investigation. I don't want to get into details of it, okay? And so I won't discuss that part of it. Well, it, it is possible there could be more charges. There is possibility of more charges, correct. To Chuck Roberts, Crime Stories investigative reporter. Chuck, what led to her arrest? Why? Well, the day before Lucas disappeared, uh, she took her daughter, her one-year-old daughter, uh, to uh, Olive Garden and left Lucas at home. And she later admitted... What? And she later admitted to uh, her step her to her her father, her boyfriend uh, Jonathan that she paused to smoke a couple of bowls of marijuana before she went to Olive Garden. Uh, she claimed that she left Lucas home because he'd been sick, and she didn't want to wake him up, and that raised uh, you know suspicions. And police arrested her for child endangerment, two counts: one for Lucas and one presumably for her own one-year-old daughter. Wow. Okay, what we know right now is that this stepmother, as she calls herself, Emily Glass, has requested a bond reduction. A bond reduction. Kim Martin, Missing Pieces Network, uh, what do we do now? Right now, quite honestly, in my opinion, we have to find Lucas. Um, 99% sure that it would likely be a recovery effort at this point, sadly, but I don't think that they can make a charge or that anyone is going to pay for doing this until we find Lucas. And the area out there, you know, I'm not from Kansas, but it is vast, it's rural, and it's a lot of private property. So that's why we really need private landowners to go search. You know, we've got teams out there behind the scenes that people don't know about searching. Um, we have Lucas Warrior searching, and it's just a lot of land to cover. When Sadly. you say a recovery, what do you mean by that? seems to me that all indications at this point are that, sadly, and it, it kills me to say this, um, that Lucas is not, is not alive. I've been studying the affidavit that has been released. You all know that the so-called stepmother, Emily Glass, reports five-year-old Lucas missing saying that she was taking a nap. Now, according to this probable cause affidavit, she also tells police the day before she made the report, she smoked marijuana. She had been cleaning the family home. It's located there near Lincoln and Edgemore, and that she went into the garage and smoked a few bowls, her words, not mine, of marijuana, that she got hungry. And she and her one-year-old daughter only identified as M.H., drove to Olive Garden, as Chuck Roberts told us, for dinner. 
leaving Lucas behind. There's no other visual on Lucas that day, to my understanding. I don't know how long he had really been missing. Well, actually... Well, what now, the, Kim? The landlord of their rental home um, saw Lucas peeking through the window at 5.30 p.m. that day on the 16th, the day that she went to Olive Garden. Right. Okay, got that. I got, I'm, I'm glad you told me that because it's another piece of the puzzle. I was referring to the day that... He actually went missing, but that helps me. That helps me create a timeline. Do you know of a visual of the day that he is claimed to be, have gone missing? None. The last visual is at five thirty. Okay, so she's at home alone uh, after a couple of bowls of marijuana, going to Olive Garden with her daughter, leaving him there at thirty-eight pounds, and the landlord sees him at 5.30 p.m. peeking out the window. I don't know if the stepmother was there or not. This court document says the stepmom consented to a search of her phone where police found text on Facebook Messenger between her and her, I guess you say, husband, um, Jonathan Hernandez. Police say the message stated Glass was going to smoke a couple of bowls of marijuana and go to Olive Garden using a gift card he had sent her. It goes on to say she made two phone calls, Feb 16 in the afternoon around 4.30 and 5.40. The phone calls were made from the area of Central and Rock near where Olive Garden is. Part of that document was redacted. We couldn't see everything. Do we have any reason, Kim Martin, to believe the boy made it through the night? In my opinion, no. What do you think happened, Kim? Uh, this is difficult to say. This is just my opinion from putting you know, things together. Um, I would guess that Emily came home. Lucas made some comment about the landlord. And, you know, she had just gone through custody hearings and everything and lost additional custody of her older children visitation and just in the move and she's the primary caregiver um i hate to say she snapped but i think she did i think she lashed out at him and he, he had been sick for two or three weeks and i think it killed him guys we are looking for lucas hernandez with me kim martin Missing Pieces Network, Karen Smith, forensics expert, Ashley Wilcott, juvenile judge, Dr. Chloe Michael Carmichael, New York psychologist, and Chuck Roberts, investigative reporter. The tip line, 316-267-2111 or 316-268-4407. Also at this time, I want to remind you that our longtime friend and colleague, Joseph Scott Morgan, needs us. Joe Scott Morgan, professor of forensics and longtime crime online contributor, entire home and all of his possessions out by what? tornadoes in Alabama. Please go to crimeonline.com, read his story. A GoFundMe page has been created for him, and if you can, please give. No amount is too small. He is our friend, and he needs us 
now. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.